0: Good morning, how are we all doing today? We're doing okay? Right on, I wanna say a special welcome to the Carney campus. Come on, let's hear you. Right on. I also want to welcome everybody that's with us at the North Platte campus, including our Ogallala family. We're in a really cool season where we've got North Platte and Ogallala worshiping together every Sunday and just excited about what God is doing out kind of on the western part of the state. I also want to welcome everybody that's with us. Maybe you're at home sick or you're checking out New Life or you're traveling, whatever the case may be. Thanks for coming. Thanks for connecting for God's Word today. My name's Dave. I get to be one of the pastors on staff. And I'm typically out on our North Platte campus. But today's one of those unique Sundays where I get to come and share God's Word with everybody here. So if you're a first-time guest with us, then you picked a great Sunday to be with us. Typically, we preach in a series where we have a number of messages, maybe all centered around the same topic... Or we go through a book of the Bible, and that series might be four weeks or eight weeks long. Today is a standalone message, and so you haven't missed anything. The person sitting next to you doesn't know anything more about what's going on than you do. So this is a great Sunday to be here. When I found out I was preaching, Pastor Jeff said, you can preach on anything you want. All right, sometimes that's the worst thing you can hear because the Bible, as you know, has maybe just a few pages to it. Picking out one thing might be a challenge, but this message and really the story that it's built on has been on my heart so often the last number of months. Really, I can think all the way back to February is when I really started finding myself, even just driving down the road or I'm working out or whatever the case may be, and this story would come to mind and it, I just find it incredibly impactful. So. Uh, I just want you to know right off the bat that if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus before, you're going to have an opportunity to do that at the end of today's message. And so I want to just be upfront about that. I want you to be considering that as we go into today's message, a message that I'm calling... Uh, scars and a story, scars and a story. Let's first start this fascinating story found in Mark chapter five by talking a little bit about what has just happened in Mark chapter four. So if you have a Bible, you can be uh, opening that up. Or if you've got a smartphone and you want a Bible, then download Version. It's a free Bible app and open up to Mark five. We're going to get there in a moment. But I want to give you just a little bit of background so you understand kind of what has just happened. Jesus has been with his disciples, and they're on a boat, and they're heading across the Sea of Galilee. They're headed toward the east, and uh, in the middle of their journey across the Sea of Galilee, this massive storm comes up and there's crazy wind and crashing waves all around them. And he's with his disciples, who some of them are experienced fishermen. They've been out on this sea hundreds, if not thousands of times. They've experienced storms before, but they are freaking out. They are fearful. They are worried that they are going to drown. And so they go and they find Jesus, who happens to be asleep. He was just kind of hanging out, chilling. And they were like, hey, we're gonna drown. And so Jesus gets up, And he goes and he commands the waves to be still. And so they then continue across the Sea of Galilee and they end up in a region called the Gerasenes. And the Gerasenes is a region that's actually part of a wider region or area named the Ten Towns. And the Ten Towns is widely a Gentile region. Now, if you don't know what the Gentile term means, that's okay. It's kind of a a churchy word, if you will. Gentiles basically were people that were not Jewish. They found themselves outside of God's chosen people. And so in a lot of ways, they were seen as second-class citizens. They were seen as outsiders. And they were uh, heavily populating this ten-towns region. And so Mark 5 starts with Jesus getting out of the boat after they reached this eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. So as he gets out of the boat, he's met by a man who is demon-possessed. And here's how that man is described in Mark 5, starting in verse 3. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. All right? Now, in case you don't have a visual, I think the guy looks something like this. That was me about eight or nine years ago. I hadn't shaved in three months, and... Yeah, so if you need a visual, there it is. Although no one's ever, I'm kind of hurt by this, no one's ever, like, accused me of being too strong, all right? I've never been intimidating because of my strength, all right? But this man, he knew what it meant to be the outcast. He knew what it meant to be picked last for kickball. He knew what it meant to have nobody want to be around him. If this man was alive today and he was demon-possessed, and and breaking out of chains and shackles, he would be thrown in a maximum security prison. He would be put in solitary confinement for the rest of his days. If not that, then maybe he'd be heavily medicated and he'd be put in a mental institution by himself in isolation because people didn't know what to do with him. They didn't want to be around him. His strength terrified and intimidated people. Everyone except for Jesus. Let's take a look at Verse 6, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. We see here that Jesus, he doesn't back away from this man that everybody else wanted to avoid. And like the crazy storm before him, Jesus remains calm and in control. When other people would have freaked out and ran away and done everything they could to avoid this man, Jesus is here in this presence of this man in complete control and at complete peace. He engages the man. He commands the demons to leave the man and then asks the evil spirit what his name is. And I think this is an interesting detail that Mark includes. The evil spirit says, my name is Legion, because there are many of us in this man. Legion in the Roman army was the largest unit in the Roman army. Anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers made up a legion. Now I don't know that we can go so far to say that's the exact number of demons that were in this man, but it is used to describe just how many, all right? There are many evil spirits torturing this man. Let's continue on in the story verse 10. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. In this interaction, we see Jesus extend incredible compassion. He demonstrates to everybody else in that region the value that even this man has. Jesus chooses the man over the herd of pigs. Now, uh, maybe a low estimate, but an estimate of what that herd of pigs would be worth in today's economy is about $250,000. $250,000, and yet Jesus is saying, you know what, this man that you don't want anything to do with is worth more to me than those pigs. And then we have a whole bunch of people upset because their economy has just been disrupted. Disrupted. They were not upset. Notice, okay, unlike my daughter, Zion, she's about to turn four this Wednesday, she doesn't like this story because she loves all animals, and she's always sad that the pigs go and they die. They, these people were not mad that the pigs had died because they love animals. They were mad because that was their financial means. That was how they survived, or they, they were dependent upon that. They loved the value that those pigs had. But Jesus Jesus cares more about the spiritual transformation of the crazy man than he does the 2,000 pigs. And then my favorite part of the story happens next. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Can you blame him? He begs to go with Jesus, but Jesus doesn't let him. Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns, the region where most people had not heard about Jesus yet and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone, say everyone. Everyone was amazed at what he told them. So what do we learn From this incredible story. First of all, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of this man. You've maybe never been demon-possessed, okay? And and if you currently are, then let's pray for you after this service, okay? But you've maybe never been demon-possessed, but how many of you would say, I felt like an outsider before? I feel like I can relate to this man because I know what it's like to be picked last for kickball. I know what it's like to not have a, a date for a dance or whatever the case may be. I know what it's like to be Isolated, Because the enemy loves it when we're isolated. He loves it when we start feeling that way. But we're going to take away three important things from this story that that when we walk out of here, we're going to realize we've got victory and we don't have to be in isolation anymore. The first thing that we want to look at here is that one moment in the presence of Jesus can change everything. One moment for this man in the presence of Jesus changed everything changed everything about him. Satan and his demons, you see, are no match for Jesus. The storm couldn't stop Jesus from getting to the Gentile region. This man, this demon-possessed man couldn't stop Jesus from getting there. The storm, the demons, whatever it is that's working in your life is not stronger than Jesus. One moment in the presence of Jesus can change everything. It changed the course of this man's life. He went from being marked by craziness, by torture, by self-harm. And all of a sudden, in one moment with Jesus, his life is filled with peace. He regains perfect sanity. One moment in the presence of Jesus can change your life today. Nothing you are facing, not to minimize what you're going through, but also to put what you're going through in its proper place. Nothing that you're going through is more powerful than Jesus. Nothing that you're going through is too much for Jesus to take care of when we lean into him just as this man did. And then when we do meet Jesus, when we have a moment in his presence that changes everything, we have to be ready that when we change, we can't expect society to celebrate that change. Some will, some people might, But people are going to be upset just like they were. Maybe if there's financial loss or they won't have their best friend at the bar with them anymore. Whatever the case may be, not everybody is going to celebrate your life change. Not everyone will get it. Not everyone will be happy for you. Not everyone is going to be encouraging because they want what they're used to. They want what you used to be. But one moment in the presence of Jesus can change your life. He is the king at turning situations around. He's the king of taking someone that is insane and making them sane. Don't elbow the person next to you as if they need to meet with Jesus right now. But one moment in the presence of Jesus can change everything. Now, I'm blessed to live by an incredible neighbor. The neighbor just to the west of me and my family in North Platte. his name's Kermit. And yes, when we got introduced to him for the first time, he said, my name's Kermit like the frog, okay? Uh, my kids adore him. My, uh, if you stop by our place, it's not uncommon to hear one of my kids in the backyard yelling for Kermit if he's not hanging out in his backyard. And he'll come out, and a lot of times he'll bring him popsicles or ice cream, and, and I don't blame him for yelling for him. But Uh, Last summer, actually last spring, spring 2018, my wife, she has started taking up gardening. She loves it. It's become this hobby that is uh, really refueling for her. It energizes her to spend time in her garden. And she was pregnant at the time, and she said, Dave, will you build me raised garden beds? Okay? Now, if you don't know me, I am not handy at all. And she asked me to actually use power tools and use a saw that's going to cut something. And I was like, well, come on, it can't be that hard. It's just a rectangle that I'm going to build her. Some screws, get some wood, cut it, measure it. I, I can do that. And I, let me tell you, I got the first one done. It did not look very good. And I'm out there just frustrated, trying to get these screws to go in the wood. And Kermit, being the great neighbor that he is, he walks over and he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm building these great garden beds for TIFF. And he said, well, why are you doing it that way? I was like, because I didn't ask you how I should do it. And, and he said, well, if I, if I were you, I would use a, a lag bolt and a washer and, and get your, you know, your whatever tool out. And it's going to be easy. I'm like, okay. So prior to meeting with Kermit, I was frustrated. I was ready to give up on this project. And, and I was just angry almost. And, well, let's be honest. I was. I was angry. And then I meet with Kermit. And he says, hey, you're doing it wrong. Just do it this way. And then just like that, for the most part, the next four garden beds come together. And now my wife has a beautiful garden that I actually get to say I was a part of helping create. It was one moment with the guy that had the right plan and the wisdom that I needed. And all of a sudden, I was not the insane guy in the backyard getting frustrated at wood and screws. I was the man actually able to complete the job, complete the mission that I'd been tasked with. Kermit's the man. I'd love, I'd love for you guys to meet him, all right? But your one moment with Jesus can change everything, and it could be that you can have that moment right now in this morning, in this worship service, whether you're at North Platte, whether you're here at Kearney, whether you're watching online, wherever you are, you can meet with Jesus. You can have your one moment in his presence and allow him to guide you, allow him to take control You can have your one moment with Jesus. At the end, you're gonna have an opportunity to surrender your life to him. And if you've yet to do that, I want you to consider that. It's the best decision you could ever make. You too can have a story to tell just like this man that we're reading about. Whatever you're going through, it's not too big for Jesus to handle. The enemy wants nothing more though than to keep you from Jesus. He'll send a storm, he'll remind you of your past, He'll try to tell you that God is too far from you, that God looks at you and sees nothing of value, that God looks at you and wants nothing to do with you. But that's the enemy's perspective. I'm here today to tell you that there is victory in the name of Jesus. That in Jesus you can be delivered from whatever it is that is keeping you from him. Jesus is not elusive. Jesus is not a God that is trying to play hide and seek with you. He's not a God that's trying to be hidden and to stay away from you. We have a core value here at New Life. We have six of them, but this is my favorite. If I could pick one, it's this, that seekers find God. Seekers find God. If you are here and you have yet to commit your life to Christ, if you're seeking him, guess what? You're going to find him. If you're somebody that has just committed your life to Christ, you've just surrendered to him, and you seek him, you're going to find him. If you've been following him for 70 years, if you seek him, you will find him. James 4, 8 says it this way, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's not he might, it is a promise that if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Recently, my, my wife and I we had some friends come over, and they happened to be from a different country, and one where they were not necessarily raised in a Christian church. And so we've been talking about Jesus and church and, and whatnot. And one of them, the young lady, she she just she asked me, "Well, what's it mean to follow Jesus?" And so we were able to talk through what does it mean to follow Jesus. One thing, if you want to know uh, how to follow him, read read the Bible and see what Jesus says. See what kind of character he has. See what uh, he, how he tells us we're supposed to live our life and then go do that. That we don't have to make it some rocket science, but we do maybe have to have somebody tell us how to follow Jesus. And we can't just take that for granted. Another thing that you can do is to get in a conversation with somebody, get in a relationship with somebody that also is pursuing Jesus so you have somebody to talk to, what, talk to about what you're going through. And lastly, a, another key to to spending time with Jesus, spending time in his presence, is to pray. And and praying sometimes can seem like this really mystical, uh, just really hard to grasp act, but it's really a conversation, a conversation with God. God is a generous father, a loving father, and any good father wants to communicate with his child. And if you just go to him, and, and it can be simple, you can, I'm going to steal something that I've heard Pastor Nate say real recently. You start in prayer and just thank God. Thank Him. Thank Him. And then you can tell Him what you're sorry for. And then after that, ask Him for something if you want to. Prayer can be that simple. And then you just hang out and you listen. See if He gives you a thought. See if He directs you to something that you're supposed to read or, and, and whatnot. So let's, let's kind of demystify prayer. But when was the last time you intentionally spent a moment in the presence of Jesus. Now, I'm not just saying, when was the last time you came to church? Okay, because sometimes we can come to, to church to go through the motions. Maybe you read the Bible just because it was your duty and you felt like you had to do it so you could check off the box. When was the last time that you intentionally spent a moment in the presence of Jesus? We live in a busy world. We find our identity oftentimes in in our busy, crazy schedule. And so I encourage you, prioritize time with Jesus. If you have to, put it in your phone. Put it in your calendar. So if somebody tries to say, hey, will you go do this? You can legitimately say, no, I've got something I've got to do. I've already got something scheduled. For this man, the demon-possessed man, there was nothing more important than spending some time in the presence of Jesus. How often can we say the same thing? How often do we prioritize our time with Jesus in saying there is nothing more important than spending some time with him? One of the many benefits then spending time with Jesus is discovering the plan that he has for you, which brings us to our second takeaway today. Jesus' plan for your life may not be what you want, but it's what is best. When you discover what your plan is that Jesus has for you, it may not be what you were wanting or what you were hoping, but it is best for you. Back to Mark 5, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. That's a great request. That's a noble request. There doesn't seem to be anything wrong with this, except it wasn't Jesus' plan for this man's life. Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Jesus' plan for your life may not be what you want, but it's what is best. This is a crucial step. If you really want to learn how to follow Jesus, it's about learning what he then tells you to do and going and doing it, being obedient to him. Following Jesus is not about getting him to just bless your plans and what you want to do, but it's about learning his plan for your life and then being obedient to it. I love this quote. It's from Francis Chan, his book, Crazy Love. He says this, he says, our greatest fear should not be a failure. How many of us have, have been fearful of failure before? He says, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And I would say to you today, and I'm preaching to myself as much as anything, your plans, if they are not aligned with God's plans, they don't matter. And one of the worst things that you could do is is wake up at 70 years old or 85 years old or, or however old and look back and think, man, I succeeded, but I succeeded at my plan and not the Father's. I succeeded at my plan, but not the plan that Jesus had for me. Seek God. Get his game plan for your life and then be obedient. Obedience leads to joy. Can you imagine the joy this man experienced every single time he shared the good news of Jesus Christ with someone? If you lack joy in your life, ask yourself, when was the last time I shared Jesus with somebody? When was the last time I shared what what has happened to me since surrendering my life to Jesus? That can be a source of great joy for us. It's a constant reminder. It was a constant reminder for this guy that he had been made new that he was no longer who he used to be. Every time he shared that story, it was a reminder that Jesus had made him new and had a plan for his life. Growing up, my dad, he always used the term, hindsight is 2020." When I got done with a baseball game and we were dissecting it, analyzing it, or basketball, or whatever the case may be, and, and I'd look back with regret of, I wish I'd have done this, or I wish I'd have done that, he would always say, without failure, hindsight is 2020." Usually, that is met with disappointment. And kind of like, yeah, you're right, I wish I could go back. It's met with regret, it's a negative thing. But for this man, hindsight, it 2020. but it was a source of joy. He would look back and he would see, man, look what I used to be. Look who I used to be and look who I am now, thank the Lord. And so when we tell people about where we've been, we tell people about how merciful our God is, hindsight becomes a source of joy as we look back on the journey that God has had us on. When you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you have a story worth sharing. And that brings us to our final takeaway for today. It's this, show your scars, tell your story. Show your scars, tell your story. This man, we know he had physical scars. In verse five, it tells us that he had been cutting himself And when he's feeling tortured, when he's feeling conflicted, when he's out of his mind, he is cutting himself with stones. He has physical scars. And when he gets sent out to the ten towns, he is sent with nothing more than his scars and his story. This guy was not a Bible scholar. This guy hadn't been a Christian for more than a minute. Yet Jesus sends him out to be a missionary to share his story. The population of the Ten Towns, as I said, was largely Gentile, largely people that were living apart from God. They were outsiders in many regards. They were not following Jesus. And yet, this man who was from that region gets sent there with his scars and his story. If you read on in Mark chapter 8, Jesus makes his way back to the Ten Towns after this man had gone to share his story guess how many people show up to meet with Jesus? 4,000 show up. Now I can't tell you, I don't have proof that all 4,000 of them showed up because of this man, but I think we'd be fools not to think that the story that he took to that region impacted people. We'd be fools not to think that that story, that life changed because they knew about his past. They saw the scars on his arm. We'd be fools to think that that didn't inspire people and compel people to want to meet with Jesus. I don't think it's just a coincidence that when Jesus shows up here, one, he has a crowd, he has people that want to meet with him, but two, they're bringing the sick, they're bringing the lame, why? Because they know the story of this man. They know that he used to be crazy. He used to be demon possessed, he used to be the man that nobody wanted to be around. But yet, here he is, perfectly sane. Perfectly at peace because he's met with the Savior, Jesus Christ. Your story of meeting Jesus is incredibly powerful. So why don't you share it? Why don't I always share it? I think it's because we live in an Instagram-obsessed culture, one where we want to be perfect. Insert your favorite social media or your favorite family photo album or whatever into that, but we're obsessed with looking perfect. We don't want people to see our flaws. If we can't appear perfect, then a lot of times we don't want anything to do with it. We'd much rather show off our strengths. But think about that man, when he showed off his strengths, did anyone want to be around him? When he's breaking chains, when he's cutting himself, when nobody can hold him back, that's his strength. And guess what? That impressed people. They were impressed, but they were terrified. They were intimidated. When you show off your strength today, it's not very different. Somebody looks at you and sees how smart you are, well, I could never be as smart as him. They look how pretty you are, I could never look like her. When they look how talented you are, I can never do that. And it's intimidating. And it actually, even though we want to impress them and we want to, you know, whatever, make a connection with them, oftentimes we're putting them at a distance because they're intimidated by our strength. Showing off your strength impresses and it intimidates, but showing off your scars and the strength of your Savior That intrigues, that inspires, that draws people closer to wanna hear more, either from you about what Jesus has done, or it inspires them to just draw close to Jesus. We're all tempted to act like we don't have flaws, but yet we all have them. Your scars, they may be physical like this, man, they might be emotional, they might be spiritual, whatever. If we can't be perfect, then we don't want to share them oftentimes. And the enemy, he loves that we have this mentality. Why? That it keeps us then from sharing the good news with Jesus. It keeps other people from ending up with the enemy and ending up with Jesus. He doesn't want us to be close to Jesus. It keeps us from sharing the power of Jesus and spreading the hope that can only be found in him. We oftentimes think, well, what if I I share Jesus with somebody? Are they going to think I'm a fool? Are they going to think I'm a crazy person? What if I don't know all the answers to their questions? I don't know everything about the Bible. Guess what? Demon-possessed man didn't either. What if I stumble over my words and I don't make sense? What if I, what, you know, what if I share Jesus and, and they don't surrender their life to Jesus? Right then and there on the spot have I failed. What if I try and I fail? Today we have to remove the expectation that everyone we share Jesus with is going to surrender their life to him right on the spot. This expectation is is that we'd hit a home run every time we go up to bat, and that's unrealistic. It's not gonna happen. Growing up, one of my favorite sports to play was baseball. And if you're in a discussion, and I know some of you don't care about baseball, just bear with me for a minute. If you talk about some of the best players to ever play baseball, one of the names that always comes up is the name Babe Ruth. We're not talking about the candy bar, we're talking about the lefty that hit a ton of home runs. And Babe Ruth, In 1914, was a 19-year-old rookie. He plays in five games. He goes up to bat 10 times. Guess how many home runs he hit? Zero. Guess how many times he struck out? Four. Now, it would have been easy for him in that small amount of experience and failure to look at it and think, well, I'm done. I'm not playing that game anymore. I want people to see me as Perfect. No, he didn't give up on the game of baseball. He went on and led the league in home runs 12 different seasons. He went on to hit 714 career home runs and for decades held the record for the most home runs ever hit. What people don't often talk about, though, about Babe Ruth is this. Yeah, he hit a lot of home runs. But guess how many times he struck out? 1,330 times. 1,330 times. 1,330 times he went up to the batter's box to get a hit or get a home run, and he struck out. He failed. That's enough. If you had to stack those strikeouts consecutively, that means he'd have gone up for two and a half seasons and struck out every single time. That's how many strikeouts that is. But he wasn't deterred by his failure. And because of that, nobody remembers him as the guy that struck out all the time. They remember him as one of the best baseball players to have ever lived. What does that, what's the correlation there? When you share Jesus with someone, you're not always gonna hit the home run where they get all the way around the bases and make it home to Jesus. Sometimes we're gonna gonna go up there and we're gonna fail. Does that mean we should stop sharing Jesus? Absolutely not. Sometimes we're gonna get up there and we're gonna hit a single. We're not gonna hit a home run to where they surrender their life to Jesus, but that's okay. Sometimes we're not meant to get them all the way to Jesus. We're meant to inspire them. We're meant to compel them. We're meant to cause some intrigue so they want to pursue Jesus and eventually make it home to him. Just because we don't hit the home run every time doesn't mean we need to stop. Just because we're not perfect doesn't mean we need to stop sharing Jesus with other people. So remove the expectation that everyone you share Jesus with is going to surrender their life to him right there on the spot. It'd be cool, but that's just not realistic. So as we bring this, this message to a close, I want to speak to you. If you're here or you're at the North Flack campus or you're watching online with us and you've yet to surrender your life to Jesus, I want you to know that you're going to have an opportunity here in just a couple of minutes and it could change your life. If you so choose to surrender to him, it will change your life if you surrender to him. You might think still, what does surrender mean? It's this simple act of saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I want to follow you. I can relate to the demon-possessed man who was not perfect, and I want to follow you. I want to do whatever you have for me to do in life, not what I want to do. Romans ten nine says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If that's you today, I encourage you, call on the name of the Lord. Admit that you're not perfect. None of us are. And just say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the leader of my life. And then guess what? As soon as you make that decision, you're in the game. You're in the game. The the demon-possessed man, he didn't go off to Bible college. He didn't spend years following Jesus. After his initial encounter with Jesus, he takes off. And you can start sharing Jesus with people as well. So now I want to speak to everybody that has either surrendered your life to Jesus or you're going to here in just a moment. Because there's a challenge for us, and that challenge is to share what Jesus has done in your life. You're armed with scars. You're armed with a story of how you came to know Jesus and what he's done in your life, and that's all he wants you to do is share that story. Be willing to be humble enough to say, I've got scars. I'm not perfect. Let's go against the grain in society where everybody else wants to try to appear perfect. Let's stand out by saying, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner, but I've been saved. Romans 14, 15, excuse me, Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. But how can they, how can people that don't follow Jesus, how can people that have yet to put their faith in him, how can they call on him, how can they call on Jesus to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Guys, if you've been saved, if you have had your encounter with Jesus and you've surrendered your life to him, guess what? You're sent. You're a messenger with beautiful feet. Maybe handsome feet for you guys out there that aren't comfortable being beautiful. But you have been sent. I've been sent. We're armed with our scars and our story, and let's share it. Let's share it so that it stirs up some intrigue. And here in Kearney or North Platte or Ogallala, people will find Jesus. People will have their lives changed. They'll no longer be who they were. They'll no longer be defined by their past. But they'll be defined by their relationship with the Savior. Who wants to be a part of that? I know I do. Let me ask again, because maybe I, maybe I put some of you to sleep. Who wants to be a part of that? Amen. 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 Why don't you guys stand with me? And I want you to consider this as our worship teams come to lead us into a response of what God has been speaking to you today. I have one question for you. One question for you. If you can hear my voice today, the question is this. Who is going to find Jesus because you shared your scars and your story with them? Who's going to find Jesus? Who's going to be intrigued to pursue a life-changing relationship with the Savior because you shared your scars and you shared your story? Will you be like the demon-possessed man that helped transform a region? Will you be someone that makes a difference, an eternal difference in just even one person? You know what, Babe Ruth, when he went up to bat, if he'd have looked at it and thought, nope, I might, I might strike out, I might even get hit by the pitch. That hurt a little bit. I'm not going to go up there. Would he have ever hit a home run? Would he have ever helped one of his teammates get around the bases and make it home? No. So let's not be afraid of failure. Let's not be afraid of some of the pain that might come along with sharing our scars, sharing our story. And let's go change the world together. Led by the Savior, of course. Let us pray. Father, thank you for seeing value in each and every single one of us. There is no one that is too far gone. There's no one that is out of your reach. There's no situation too great for you. You're a God of victory. You're a God of redemption. Father, thank you for the plans that you have for each and every one of us. We desire to be a church, a group of people that are sold out to your plan to reach those who do not yet know you. Use us, we pray. Give us the courage to be obedient to your command, to go and to seek and to save the lost, to share what you've done in our lives. Give us the humility needed to share our scars, to tell the story of what you've done in our lives. May people find your son and be forever changed by him because we were willing to tell them how wonderfully merciful our Lord is. God, I pray for everyone right now that is considering surrendering their life to you. I pray that you would be there, that you would meet them in this moment and that this could be an encounter with you that will change their life forever. It will break change, it will tear down walls. It will make us new. God, have your way in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.